The sermon text for today is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. You can find this passage in the Pew Bible on page 1461. Please listen as I read God's word. Breaking covenant by withholding ties. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you today. My name is John. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I get to serve as the lead pastor here in Elmwood. And as we come to this passage, as we do each week, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. They are more precious than much gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping with them there is great reward. Lord, we do today affirm that we believe that in keeping your instruction there is great reward. Lord, we come to you this morning confessing that we desire to follow your instruction and at times following your instruction is difficult and it's costly. And so as we think about the subject of tithing this morning, we ask that you would give us an extra measure of your grace, that you would give us an extra measure of your mercy as we look at this passage, as we think about tithing. Lord, give us the wisdom and the discernment of your spirit to know how to take this and make this our own, how to practice this in our own lives. Lord, we desire to be people who love and desire your instruction, who view them as life-giving and filled with joy and blessing and abundance. And so we pray for the work of your spirit to cause our hearts to delight in your instruction. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 
Every habit that we create shapes us over time. Every single one of us, for better or for worse, is the product of the things that we do over and over and over and over and over again. So for example, someone might make a habit out of pulling out their cell phone at the first sign of boredom. You've maybe seen people who do this standing in the line at the grocery store when there's five minutes of silence, there's the flicking through a news feed or headline articles, flicking through social media, looking at YouTube videos, sort of the resistance of any amount of just empty, dead space to not be doing something. And over time, when you perpetuate that practice, that makes you into a certain kind of person. Typically, people who do that are uh, not really present. You know, you may be physically present, but you're not actually present with the people around you. And over time, that practice shapes you into a certain kind of person. Someone else might make a habit of getting weekly, regular exercise. And I'm not talking about like being a bodybuilder, you know, or anything like that. I'm just talking about like some sort of like moderately strenuous activity that makes you somewhat uncomfortable. And the person who does that, who chooses to do what's difficult, who chooses to do what's uncomfortable, even if they may not want to do it in the moment, that shapes you into a certain kind of person. Someone else might have a habit of journaling their thoughts or their prayers. And over time, this will shape them into a certain kind of person, a person who's reflective, a person who's prayerful, a person who is in tune with their emotions. They know this is what I'm feeling right now and this is why I'm feeling this way. And that shapes you into a certain kind of person. Similarly, a person may have a habit of spending the first portion of their day, whether that's 15, 20, 30 minutes with their Bibles open, maybe with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or with your breakfast, spending time uh, reading a passage of the Bible and spending time in communion with God, preparing yourself for the rest of that day. When you do that practice daily for months and years, that has a deeply and profoundly shaping effect on you. This is true of a thousand different other activities or practices or habits that we could address But the point is that whether we are aware of it or not, our lives are all filled with formative practices. Not just things that we do, but things we do that have a deeply and profoundly shaping effect on us. All of our lives are filled with formative practices. Even, it may be the slightest, smallest thing that you think is so unimportant, but when you do that thing for months and for years and for decades, it has a deeply shaping effect on you. And our lives are all filled with formative practices. Today is the last message in a series we've been in on the subject of money. And we're talking about the subject of tithing today. And I'd like to suggest to you that tithing has been given to us by God as a formative practice. Tithing is designed to shape us and to form us into a certain kind of person. So tithing is not given to us just as some arbitrary, random thing that God has instructed us to do. Tithing is something that God has given to us lovingly as a practice that will shape us and form us into the kinds of people that he wants us to be. And so what I want to do today is just think with you for a little while about the question, how does tithing shape us? What does tithing actually do? Now before we get into that portion of the message, I want to just uh, make a, a comment on the front end here. Uh, Most of what we talked about so far in the series has been related to money, and there's been broad application of this for all areas of life. 
we've not spent really much at all time talking about how our ownership or how our stewardship or how our generosity uh, would directly interact with or would, would directly uh, be engaged with a local church. But as we talk about tithing here today, uh, this is different than those other subjects. Tithing is uh, directly related to uh, the life and the flourishing of the local church. And so I just want to affirm that. I wanted to sort of lay that out there on the front end. I get it uh, that this is uh, maybe for some people a difficult subject. Maybe you've been a part of churches that you felt like only cared about your money. Maybe you've been a, per- a part of a church that has not talked about money at all or has talked about it poorly and you just have no foundation, you have no framework, or you have a bad experience in your history. I just want to just recognize, I get that. In a room this size, there are plenty of people with bad church experiences as it relates to money. And what I want to do before we talk about tithing is just reaffirm my heart for all of us in this and reaffirm uh, Elmwood's heart in this. And that is this, that we want your maturity in Christ, not your money. Okay, we want to be really clear about this. We desire, first and foremost, you to grow up in Christ not primarily to be a financial contributor to the bottom line of our church family. We want your maturity in Christ, not your money. And, and I just wanna, I, I wanna say this in all seriousness. If there's ever a point at which you feel like we care more about getting money from you than actually seeing you grow up in Christ, please give your money somewhere else. Don't give money to Elmwood. And I'm, you may wanna start looking for a new church if you, if you think that we care more about your money than your growth in Christ. So I just want to put that out there on the front end. We, we deeply care about your maturity in Jesus, and that will in some capacity uh, be reflected in how you give to the local church. So we get that. I just want you to, to hear my heart and to hear our heart in this, that we want your maturity in Christ. We don't primarily want money from you. So with that being said, let's think about the subject of tithing. And let's think about this question, how does tithing shape us? Well, the first thing we could say is this, tithing trains our hearts to trust God instead of money. That's what tithing does. The repeated act of intentionally giving away money that we could spend on ourselves, that intentional act that we do repeatedly over time that shapes us into a certain kind of person, that trains and teaches our hearts to trust God instead of money. So let's just take a moment and think about what tithing is. Uh, This is sort of summarizing, bringing together a number of different passages from the Old Testament. But what tithing is, is essentially uh, taking 10% as a baseline minimum of your total income and giving it away to the work of God in the world. That's what tithing is. And there's lots of scholars that have done lots of work to try and look at everything that the Old Testament has to say, and they will tell you that 10% is not the ceiling, 10% is the floor. That if you prorate all of the different instruction that God gives, that it's between 10 and 23% that God expects his people to be giving. So tithing is taking that 10%, that baseline minimum 10%, and giving it away, specifically, intentionally giving it away for the advancement of God's work in the world, for the advancement of God's kingdom purposes in the world. That's what tithing is. But of course, there's more we could say about tithing. What we could say about tithing is that, number one, tithing is, it's by definition limiting. Okay, so think about the, the, the connection between tithing and Sabbath. I think they're, they're similar in this. That when God instructs his people, you are to take six days and work, and then you are to take a seventh day as a Sabbath day and do no work on it, not just you know, inactivity, but devoting that day to the Lord in worship. That is by definition a limiting thing. You are saying, I'm choosing not to produce. 
I'm choosing not to get ahead. I'm choosing not to catch up. And by taking a day of Sabbath, you are intentionally limiting the productivity that you could have. You're limiting, in the end, the income that you could have. So Sabbath is by definition limiting, and tithing is the exact same thing. Tithing is saying there's 10% baseline minimum of my income that I'm just not even going to consider my income. I'm going to take this money, I'm going to set this aside, and devote this to give it away to the advance of God's purposes in the world, and therefore what I have left over is a smaller portion than what I actually brought in. So tithing is by definition a limiting thing. We also know that tithing is, tithing is identity forming. Remember, this is not just some thing that God commands us to do, it's a formative practice. And tithing forms us and shapes us in our identity and who God is. When we choose to tithe, what we are saying is, I am not what I own. We are saying, my identity is not bound up in, my identity is not tied to the money that I have or anything that money can purchase for me. The pleasures, the conveniences, the experiences, you know, if I could purchase certain things that give me an elevated status, visibility in the eyes of others, you could put money into savings, put money into retirements for as, you know, safety and security that comes along with that. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but when we choose to tithe, what we are saying is, I am choosing to believe the truth that my identity is not bound up in money or anything that money can purchase for me. My identity is firmly grounded in who God says that I am. So tithing is identity forming. But also tithing is an act of trust. Tithing is an act of trust. Is anybody ever here, I'm not gonna ask you for a show of hands, but maybe uh, just answer this question in your mind. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I can't tithe because I simply don't have enough? You know, I've got student loan debt, I've got other kinds of debt, I've got car payments, I've got kids that are in a bunch of activities that are, it's adding up, I'm maybe working part-time, I'm maybe a single parent, and, and I just don't have enough money to tithe. How am I supposed to tithe? And you see, underneath that sort of impulse to resist tithing is the, is the question, will it be enough? That's really at the core of it. The question lurking underneath the surface of our sort of resistance to tithing is, I don't believe that what I have left over after I tithe is going to be enough for me. And so in a way, what happens then is, and, and, and when you say it like this, it sounds really foolish. What happens is we end up saying, okay, God, I'll tithe when I feel comfortable tithing. And so we basically say, okay, God, I'll tithe, but on my terms. I'll obey you, but on my terms. When I feel like I have enough to tithe, which, when is that moment? When we feel like we have enough to be radically generous, we'll never get there, really, but what we say is, I'm coming to you, God, on my terms. And when I feel safe, when I feel comfortable, when I feel like I have enough, then I will take this act of obedience seriously. But tithing is an act of trust. Because we have to say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. Here's all the financial pieces that are on the table in front of me. I don't see how they're going to make sense if I actually follow your instruction for how I should spend my money. And yet, I'm choosing to trust you in spite of that. That's what tithing is. Tithing is an act of trust. So we could summarize it like this. Tithing is an identity-forming act of trust. 
That's what tithing is. Tithing is an identity-forming act of trust. And you know, I think it's important for us to recognize that God's instruction to us as it relates to tithing is not given in a vacuum. Meaning that when we come to the book of Malachi and we see God bringing this charge against his people, that they've been withholding tithes, that they've been finding their identity in their possessions, they've been trusting in their possessions, they've been trusting in their money. When we see God bring these accusations against his people and him commanding them to tithe, to bring in the whole tithe, we have to remember that Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. So you have all of the history that has led up to the book of Malachi where we get a very clear picture of who God is. And even the instruction that God gives in the book of like Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all of those portions of scripture that teach us about tithing, we were taught about tithing already knowing who God is. We already know that God is the creator and the sustainer of everything that we see. We already know that God has created a world that is overflowing with abundance and goodness. And he has designed us to enjoy and experience the good world that he has created for us to live in. We already know that about him, that he's generous. We already know that he is a God who is lovingly in pursuit of people who are rebellious. We see that humans have chosen to do what is right in our own eyes. We've chosen to spend our money and our resources the way that we would want to spend them. We have done what's right in our own eyes. We've not followed God's instructions. We've not viewed them as beautiful and delightful and given ourselves to them. We've done what's right in our own eyes. And in spite of that, God continues to pursue his people and pour out his grace and pour out his mercy and pour out his compassion. We see that he's patient, he's long-suffering with his people. And so this command to tithe is not given to us just as some random piece of, you know, like a plaque on the wall where we just walk in and it says, okay, give away 10% of your income. We receive God's instruction to tithe knowing full well what kind of God he is, that he's trustworthy. And what it means is that when we do choose to tithe, when we choose to live in obedience to God's instruction with it, as it relates to tithing, what that does, the repeated act of giving our money away trust, trains our hearts to trust God. It reminds us that he's trustworthy and it trains us to trust him. We know what kind of God he is. We know that he's trustworthy. We know that he loves us. And so the response is we say, okay, I'm gonna trust you. Maybe the math doesn't make sense in our minds. And yet we choose to say, I trust you, God, with my money because I know what kind of God you are. And so tithing, what it does is it trains our hearts to trust God instead of money. The second thing that tithing does is this. Tithing trains our hearts to love God instead of money. So it trains our hearts to trust him when things don't seem like they might make sense, when the math doesn't maybe all work out. And it also, it's deeper than that. Tithing trains our hearts to love God Instead of money, choosing to tithe means purposefully limiting what we could consume. It means purposefully, strategically, and intentionally limiting the things that we could consume, that we could purchase for ourselves, the money we could spend on ourselves. And friends, let me tell you, when we do this, when we purposefully limit what we could spend on ourselves, what it does is it brings us face to face with the competing desires that live inside of every single one of us. Okay? Following God's instruction and delighting in and enjoying God's good world, we're never meant to be in competition with one another. 
We are created as physical beings in an embodied world and God delights for us to experience and to enjoy every good thing that he's created for us to enjoy in his world, okay? We're designed to experience and to enjoy the goodness of the world that God has created for us and we're also designed to obey God's instruction, to find our life and freedom within uh, sort of the confines or within the boundaries of what he's, uh, the instruction he's given us. And these things were never meant to be in competition with one another. And yet our lived experience is that we often find them in competition. Because we know that when we follow God's instruction to give away this much of our money, it means there's going to be less for us. When we choose to follow God's instruction, it's going to cost us. When we choose to follow God's instruction, it's going to mean fewer vacations, fewer pleasures, fewer conveniences, fewer of the things that we find so much delight and enjoyment in that are, let me just reaffirm this, that are not bad things in and of themselves. Tithing puts us in a place where we come face to face with the reality that yes, I want to obey God, I love God, and also I really love the stuff that God provides. And we can quickly realize, especially when we choose not to tithe, that my heart actually delights more in God's stuff than it delights in God himself. And that's why I choose not to tithe, because I would rather have all of the good things that God provides for me, all the good experiences, than I would, I would rather have that than live in obedience to him. And so it brings us face to face with the reality of the tension of the things that we love. Now here's why I think tithing can be such a challenge for us. You know, when we come to Jesus for the first time, we come with a life that we have spent years constructing apart from God. Maybe for some of us, decades. If you came to Jesus maybe later in life, you may have 30, 40, 50 years worth of those patterns and practices that have formed you into the person that you are today. And then you come to Jesus and you're learning and you're growing and you're just soaking up everything. And then you come to this instruction as it relates to tithing and it sort of lets a little bit of the air out of the balloon. You know, like this was pretty exciting until I got to the part where God says give away 10% of your income as a baseline minimum. Right? But the reality is we come to God with the life that we've created that includes, it's a life that includes all sorts of um, established financial patterns. We come to God with a standard of living that we have created for ourselves, that we enjoy. And then we come to the teaching on tithing and we feel like, ooh, okay, I don't know if I really love this whole thing <laughs> as much as I did before. It's a hard thing. Tithing is a difficult, challenging thing. And the reality is that tithing doesn't fit into the life that we've created apart from God. The life that we bring to God that is lived for our own enjoyment, that is lived for me first, that life does not leave space for, does not leave margin for obeying God's instruction as it relates to tithing. The reality is that the vast majority of people, when you come to Jesus, you cannot enjoy all of the good things that you used to enjoy and still give away 10% plus of your income. Maybe for some people who are very wealthy, who are very well off, you can give away 20% of your income and it doesn't make a whole lot of difference in your uh, standard of living. But the vast majority of us, when we obey God's instruction on tithing, it means that there will be less for us. And so the, the reality is that something has to budge. We have a standard of living, we have a, a set standard of financial practices, 
And then we hear God's instruction for tithing, and these two things cannot stay the same as they are. And so something has to budge. And this brings us face to face with the question, what does my heart most value? What does my heart most treasure? What does my heart most love? What brings me most delight? Does my heart love God in such a way that I'm willing to disadvantage myself by giving this money away? Or functionally, do I love God's stuff more than I love him? That's the place where tithing brings us to is seeing that reality. Now, I know from personal experience that this kind of thing, answering this question about tithing, this is hard. Okay, this is not easy stuff. There's something about tithing that is an intentional dying to yourself. I think we all get that. That choosing to give away 10% of your income to the work that God is doing in the world, whether that's through local church, missionaries, organizations uh, that are doing gospel ministry, choosing to give that money away means there's going to be less for me. It's an intentional act of dying to myself to say I'm setting aside this income no matter what it costs me. It's a dying to self and it's hard. I want you to just picture uh, a budget, and this is just very rough. This, these are not like actual numbers for anything. Uh, just picture a budget where say that your, your fixed income, uh, your fixed expenses rather, make up about 60% of your total budget. Okay, and that's like uh, things like your mortgage or your rent, things like uh, utilities, things like uh, cell phone, maybe you would consider that to be one of those sort of fixed non-negotiable expenses, uh, expenses for a car that you need to get to your job to make the money that you bring in, right? So there's all this stuff that's a part of our regular budget that is, uh, that is fixed. We can't negotiate really a difference on how much we pay for our mortgage. We signed our lives away to that when we signed the papers. <laughs> so say you got 60% of your income that is just this fixed expenses, and then you take 10% and you say, I'm gonna start with at least 10% and just give 10% away I'm going to act as if that money doesn't even exist. I'm going to choose to give that away. So now you've got 60% of your income that's totally accounted for. And then you add 10% of your income that's totally accounted for. And you end up with how much? You end up with 30% of your income where everything else has to fit. Everything else has to fit in that small portion of your income. And so that includes all of the stuff that we just like to have because we like to have it. Okay, the things like uh, fun money, maybe it's the, you know, the allowance that, I get an allowance every month, and that would be my sort of, this is my money to do with whatever I want to do with it. So there's your allowance money, there's your subscriptions, maybe that's Netflix, Disney Plus, maybe it's you know, some other streaming subscription, something like that. There's things like technology, where you could say, you know, I don't necessarily need a new phone, but I'm, I'm putting away money for future technological purchases that are just really fun things that I want to have. And you can think of all kinds of things that would fit into this other category of, okay, now I have 30% of my income. I have this limited slice of the pie that I can actually spend uh, sort of at my own discretion on the things that I want to spend it on. And for the, like I said, the vast majority of people, that 30% of income, you don't have enough money left over or within that 30% to do all of the things that you would want to do. And so then you come to the moment. You come to those moments of you're in the store and you see the thing that you want to purchase. And in the moment you're saying, God, I want this so bad. And it's an act of trust. 
it brings you to the moment of realizing what does my heart love? I don't have money for this. I've chosen to give this money away. If I choose to spend money here, it has to come out of somewhere else. And those moments where we come, maybe it's something that's in the moment, maybe it's something where you're looking at the next quarter or the next year of your finances, saying, am I gonna renew the subscription? Am I gonna keep this in my budget? Am I gonna put you know, this much money towards trips or towards date night or towards whatever? We come face to face with the reality of there's, there's not enough for me to do all of the good things that I would want to do and I've chosen to tithe and so what has to happen? Some of those things that my heart really wants to do that are good things that God would be delighted for me to enjoy, I need to say no. I need to say, I don't have money for this. And I know that that's hard because I promise you, I and my wife make these decisions too. And it's hard. And you come to the place of realizing, you know, it, it, it trains our hearts to love God when we have to say, I don't have money for this, God. I so desperately want this. You know, it's, something, it's, it's sort of like fasting. When you experience the hunger pangs inside of your stomach, that is in some ways a portal to prayer. It's an opportunity to say, God, I so desperately want to eat, but what I want more than that is I want communion with you. What I want is this, you know, whatever thing it is that you're praying for that you're asking God to deliver on. That's what fasting is. And in a way, choosing to tithe is like a kind of financial fasting. We come to those moments and we say, God, I so desperately would want this thing. I want it. It would be so good. It would be so enjoyable. And yet I'm going to choose to say no. And in choosing to say no, it's not just I'm going to die to myself. Certainly that's part of it. But it's more than just I'm going to die to myself. It's choosing to say to God, okay, here's this thing that my heart desires. My heart desires communion and relationship with you more than that. And I know because I know who you are, that you have given me every good thing that I truly need. And so I'm gonna trust you that the little bit that I have left over to spend on myself is going to be enough for me. And those are opportunities to be able to experience contentment. We don't experience contentment when none of our needs go unmet. When we continually give in to, well, I need this thing, I'm gonna buy this thing, I don't have money for it, I'll put it on a credit card, I'll pay it off later. When we live that way, we rob ourselves of the experience of contentment because we never have to be content with what we have. And tithing is one of those things that forces us to experience the hunger that exists inside of our souls and then redirects us to remember who God is. And we say, I know this is true about God. I know he loves me. I know he cares about me. I know he delights in me. I know that he's promised to give me every good thing that I need. And so if I can't afford it, what am I gonna trust? That I don't need it and that's okay, and it's hard, and I still want it, and yet I want to demonstrate by my actions that I love God more than I love his stuff. I would rather be with God than have all of the stuff over here. And so tithing is one of these things that puts us face to face with the sort of competing desires that exist within inside of our hearts. Tithing is an opportunity. Tithing trains our hearts to love God. As we come to the communion table today, we get to remember and celebrate who God is. We know who God is. We know what he is like. We know that he loves us. We know that he's generous because he sent us his son who would suffer and die in our place so that we could be grafted into the family of God and so that we could, with Christ, become heirs of all things and in some way be co-rulers over this created world that God has given us. 
we know from looking at the cross of Jesus how desperately God loves us, how far he's willing to go to bring us into relationship with himself. So we know what he's like. We know that he loves us. We know that he is filled with grace and mercy for us. And what's, what's so important, I think, to, to just remember is as you, as you look at this passage in Malachi, what you see in Malachi is a clear picture of the character of who God is. So think about this. The text says, verse 10, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. So don't miss this. God's people are in being indicted by God because they are robbing him and God is saying to them, I delight, I want to pour out my blessing on you. What Malachi shows us is that God's desire is to pour out so much blessing and abundance on his people that they don't even know what to do with it. That they don't have places to store it all. And just think about this. They are actively rebelling against God and he's showing them, I love you. I want you to turn from this sin that you're committing. I want you to be faithful to me and I want to bless you. And so we come to the communion table knowing exactly what kind of God he is. And we remember and we celebrate that he is good and that he's trustworthy and so we trust him. We've seen the ways that he's loved us by sending us his son and so in response we love him. Now I know that in a room this size and I've talked with some of you, I know that some of you have faithfully tithed for longer than I've been alive. And I've heard stories from you about the math that doesn't make sense. And I've heard stories from you about how God provides in ways that you can't explain. And so you know, you've experienced God's provision for you and God's desire and delight to pour out his blessing on you and to provide for your needs. And I also know that there's some of us in the room who do not tithe, who maybe functionally, by the way that we live, we are trusting in our money. Functionally, by the way that we live, we are saying, I love God's stuff more than I love him. Because when I'm confronted with the choice of follow God's instruction and disadvantage yourself and give money away, I would rather choose having all the possessions, having the stuff. And in a way, it's a functional way of saying, I love God's stuff more than I love him. And if there's someone here today who is saying, you know, that's me, I'm in that spot, I get that for some people that's because your finances are a giant mess. And I have been there. I've made the financial messes myself. So I know what it's like to be in a place of saying, I want so desperately to be generous and yet because of how badly I've screwed up my finances, I don't have any way to be generous. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. And I know how awful that is. And so especially if you're here today and you are choosing not to tithe because you feel embarrassed about your finances and kind of the mess that you've made, please know I'm a fellow traveler with you on that journey. And I would love to just hear your story and talk with you more about that and try and figure out what do we do uh, to help sort of help you sort of turn that around a little bit. So my encouragement is uh, to all of us is that we, we come to the communion table today 
and we see the generosity of God, we see how trustworthy he is, we see how much he loves us, and as a response to that, we choose to tithe. As a response to that, we don't give money because we are simply commanded to give money. We give money because we love him, because he has captivated our hearts and we want to be generous, we want to tithe. And so that's the reason why we choose to tithe today. And so I encourage you, uh, no matter where you are in your sort of tithing journey, uh, today's an opportunity for you to say yes to what God would have for you. So uh, let me invite us as we come to the communion table to take a moment of silent confession and reflection. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, in our words, and our deeds, by the things that we have done, as well as by the things that we have left undone. We confess, Lord, that we have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we confess the ways that we have, maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways, we have demonstrated that we are placing our trust in our money or the things that money can purchase for us. Or we confess the ways that we have chosen to demonstrate by our actions that we love your stuff more than we love you. And Lord, we, uh, we come before you and we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, that you, in your mercy, would forgive what we have been, that you would help us amend what we are and that you would direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. And all God's people said, amen.